0: Thank you, thank you so much. It's a joy to be here today. Again, my name is Kara Stromberg, and uh, I've heard great things about Restoration Covenant for many years. I know Rob from way back in the day when he was at Faith Covenant, and he was Chief Moose, and so my memories of him were always of him wearing a fuzzy moose hat. Uh, my, my background is in youth ministry, so I was at Roseville Covenant when he was at uh, Faith, and so I've, we've kept in, track throughout, uh, kept in touch throughout the years. Um, I, I was laughing, though, because I... Um, you know, in the, my bio in the bulletin, I must have forgotten, we also have another child. <laughs> Says the director of children and family ministry. We have, so we have, I just need to set the record straight so she doesn't have as much counseling to go to later. But so we have Ben, who's eight and a half, Greta, who's seven. They're 17 months apart. Um, and then we have baby Juniper, who's one. And um, usually at this point, people start, the wheels start turning, and they start doing the math in their heads and make some comment about our family planning. Um, but you know what? It's, it's a lot of fun, and we're having a blast. Uh, we named our baby Juniper Eve, with, which means evergreen youthful life. And uh, my mom said, Juniper, what are you going to call her? <laughs> and I said, well, Mom, you could call her Juniper. I don't know. <laughs> um, we also call her June, June buggy, but uh, she's lots of fun. Uh, my husband teaches art at Minnehaha's upper campus, Uh, We live in St. Paul. We worship at East St. Paul, which is a a thriving urban congregation and uh, very life-giving to us right now. So again, it's a joy to be here. I also bring greetings on behalf of the Northwest Conference of the Covenant Church. I know Restoration is a newest, newish church, which either means uh, you know a lot about the Covenant Church because we've helped you sort of get started in your church plant, or you don't know very much about the Covenant Church at all. Um, I'm assuming uh, you're the former. You know a lot about it, but. Uh, It's an honor to serve as a director of children and family ministry. It's a newly created position that aligns with our priorities for the conference, uh, alongside church planting, church vitality, and children, youth, and family ministries. So it's really fun to step into these churches and help them see ministry with children and families as a priority, and not just a strategy. You know, so often churches think, well, let's just do something with the kids over there so the adults can do what we really want to do. Um, but really, there's, a, there's an opportunity to invest in our young people and to invest in our families. And so it's, it's my honor to help churches uh, catch that vision. Uh, it's fun to be here again with the, the One Hit Wonders series. Uh, I'm trying not to take this too personally. Um, and, you know, I, I'll see if I ever get invited back, right? But it's a little bit ominous to have this on the screen behind me. So we'll take this today to mean uh, my message, which I understand to be a passage of scripture that has been really meaningful and impactful to me over the years, um, and not so much a commentary about my speaking. Um, Having said that, let me open with prayer. Gracious and loving God, thank you so much for the gift of another day. Uh, We thank you for the ministry of this church, for the ministry of the Northwest Conference, and for the covenant denomination of which we are a part. Lord, I ask that you meet us here today in this place. Speak to us, open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, that we might be receptive to your message. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, A bit of context about the passage that I've chosen today, which comes from John chapter 1. I attended Bethel Seminary, and one of my assignments for one of the classes was to take uh, three to four hours, so a chunk of time, and to spend it with nothing more than my Bible and a journal and a pen. And seeing that assignment on the syllabus... I thought, oh, that's so easy, I'm going to put that off to the last possible minute. And So I tried to cram it in right before the final, thinking I need to do this. Well, that's one of the hardest things ever. Have you tried to sit in in silence for three to four hours without your devices and without your gadgets? It was so hard, and this was before I even had my addiction to my phone. But as I did this assignment and as I sat, uh, I started reading through the Gospels. And I landed on the, on the book of John, chapter 1, and this really spoke to me and really impacted my view of how God works through people and, uh, and really my idea of evangelism and how we go and share this gospel message with others. And so I bring this message to you today, and I trust that uh, this will speak to you in, in a way that, that, that it also spoke to me. Uh, so let's begin. If you could open your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 1, or look on your phones or whatever you do. Uh, I'm going to skip over the first 28 verses. These are very important verses, which you should read and study, uh, but we're not going to talk about that so much today. Uh, In here, you will find beautiful descriptions of Jesus as the light of the world, Jesus being the Word who was with God from the beginning, um, and John the Baptist setting the stage for preparing the way for Jesus Christ to come on the scene and do his ministry. Uh, There's some confusion about the role of John the Baptist. Nobody really seems to understand uh, who he is or what he's doing. I understand John the Baptist to be a bit of a misfit. They say he wore clothes of camel's hair and ate locusts and wild honey, which I don't know how that translated back then, but he seems like kind of a goofball. And so people didn't really understand what he was doing. And he really put the Pharisees, uh, made them kind of go on their guard a little bit. They had a lot of questions about what he was doing. So people didn't really seem to get it. Uh, so anyway, we could spend a lot of time on that, but I'm just going to skip over it uh, today. Um, I'm going I'm to pick up here in verse uh, 29, uh, which says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And so John the Baptist is in this situation here where he's out in public and Jesus shows up. John has been sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus Christ and he recognizes Christ when he comes. And I think he is actually pointing out Jesus to people who don't recognize him. John is able to say with authority that, hey, this is what I was talking about, people. Right over here, look. It's happening right here in front of us right now. He realized that he knew Christ, he recognized it, other people didn't know Christ, and because of that, he was able to point out Christ to people who did not recognize him. Going on in verse 32, John gave this testimony. He says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit." I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. And here John gives his testimony, testimony about who he knew Christ to be. He says, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. This one that I've been talking about, this one that I've been trying to prepare the way so that you might see, I testify because we've had this experience together. And so you think, what's your testimony? What, is it, what does this word mean? It's witness. It's a statement of proof. And John explains that when he was out baptizing people, and when he baptized Jesus, he witnessed and he saw that God's Spirit actually came down and rested on this man, Jesus. And he recognized it because it was in the form of a, dun, a dove. Excuse me. This was indication or proof that this person was the one who would then go on to baptize with the Holy Spirit. It was legit. Jesus was who he said he was, and John was there to prepare the way. So again, John recognizes this, and he simply tells his story. He shares his experience and uh, of how he saw Jesus, uh, and, and he recognizes that. Verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Again, John went back to the place where he saw Jesus show up. At the very least, it it looks like it was three days in a row he went back here and he brought people with him. These were people who had been following John. They were disciples of John, so they'd been sitting under the teaching of John and John brought these people back to a place where he had seen Jesus show up. John had been investing in these people and teaching them about Christ. He has a relationship with these people and he brought them back to where Jesus showed up and he points Jesus out to them. I believe these people's hearts were already open and receptive to the message of Christ because John had been teaching them this message. And they were ready to respond when Jesus then issues the invitation, which we'll get to in a minute. And this is where the story shifts from being about John the Baptist and his ministry to really Jesus and his invitation to these disciples. So John 1 verse 37 says, When the two disciples heard John say this, they followed Jesus. Because they immediately recognized that Jesus was the one who John had been talking about, and they recognized Jesus as Savior. And so they saw this, and they immediately started following Jesus. I love that we're not given a lot of details about this. They just started following. But I also don't think John tended to micromanage this relationship. It seems like he just let them go. He said, yes, this is a good thing for you. Go and follow Jesus. Verse 38 and 39, Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, Jesus replied, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Notice that Jesus here in this passage is the one to issue the invitation of come and follow me. And Jesus asked them an open-ended question. He said, what do you guys want? And he invited them to share their needs with him. I don't know about you, but if some strange men started following me (laughs) and asked me where I was staying, I would have run far, far away. But thankfully, that's not how this story plays out, and the situation was quite, quite different. And Jesus, in in responding to their question, instead of launching into a three-point sermon, uh, telling them their question was weird or whatever, he simply invites them to come and see, to come with him and to spend time together in relationship. Most commentaries seem to say this happened about four in the afternoon, and so they spent probably the rest of the day together. I don't know the significance of this time, but I know it was significant that the author noted this in the story. And I think it's significant that we take note of these times in our lives where we encounter the living Christ, and we say, oh yeah, I remember that time. I remember that. And so I love that they mark the time for this encounter with Christ. Reading on in the the rest of the chapter, John 1, 40-42, it says Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So here in this passage, we have this powerful story of John the Baptist being sent by God to prepare the way for Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, and Jesus coming onto the scene and calling his first disciples for ministry. And I see again in John's ministry some interesting implications for how we go out and spread the message of Christ, and and even for evangelism and how we share the gospel message with others. A couple things I want to point out about John the Baptist's ministry here that I think uh, will translate into our own lives. The first thing that John does to prepare the way for Christ is he literally points out Christ to those who do not know who Jesus is. I don't have to tell you that this world is a dark place. I think we know this. You read the news and you know this. Yet as a follower of Christ, I go forward believing and hoping that Christ is the hope of the world. John 1.5 that I skipped over earlier said, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. As someone who knows Christ, I have this unique worldview that I carry around with me, and I believe that God is at work in this dark world. What I see as divine intervention, others may see as coincidence. And so I believe, as one who believes wholeheartedly in the hope of Christ and has decided to follow Christ with my life, it is my responsibility to point out the work of Christ in the world to those who may not see it, to those who believe that this world is simply just a dark place, I have the opportunity to say, but there's hope and there's light in Christ. And and there it is. I see Christ at work there. I see Christ at work there. I see Christ at work there. You actually literally point out where Christ is at work. This is important for our life together here as a church as a way for how we can encourage one another when times are hard, right? We point out how we see Christ at work in each other's lives. It's also important as we think through how we pass on faith to the next generation to our children, and not just the children in our own families. I say our children, meaning all of our children. The children who come here to Restoration Covenant Church are all of our children. And so as we pass on faith in Christ to this next generation, we look for opportunities, teachable moments, to point out Christ to these youngsters who may not recognize Christ and Christ's work in the world. As a family, again, of three children, we're trying to do this uh, around our dinner table this is really hard, but we're just trying our best. So we're trying this thing where at the end of the day we sit around and we have dinner together and we go around the table and we share high and low points of our day and then we ask a question often of where did you see God at work today? And we all answer the question. It's not just us quizzing our kids, but, but Nate and I share these things too. And um, I don't know that my kids totally get it yet, because often my son will say, well, I saw God at work because I got this level in Minecraft and I was fighting the, the ender dragon or whatever. And I'm just like, oh, really? Like, really, that's how you saw God at work? But I try to not um, critique his theology right there. And instead, we're trying to foster this environment of openly communicating about how you saw Christ at work. And then Nate and I share, and it gives us opportunities to share about how God is working in our lives. And so I see this as an actual practical way to point out where we see Christ at work in our daily lives. Again, you have to look for it. You don't look for it, you don't see it. And I think we have a responsibility as a church community uh, to help each other and to see the work of Christ in the world and in our lives. Uh, The second thing that John the Baptist does to prepare the way for Christ is he shares his testimony. Uh, Testimony, again, proof, witness, evidence, But we also use it to mean your personal story, your personal account of God's work in your life. And John says, look, I baptized Jesus, I was there, this is my story, this is what I saw, I saw the Spirit of God come on him like a dove, and this is what I am telling you because I experienced this and I saw it. Testimony, I have to tell you, was kind of a challenging word for me growing up because I think I had too many summers going to camp where they would bring in somebody who would share their testimony and they'd spend about 30 minutes talking about all these bad things they did before they met Christ and they would do this big long list of all the bad stuff and then they'd say and then I met Jesus and life is great and and that would kind of move on and I would think well I don't have a testimony because I feel like I've always sort of known Jesus I grew up in a Christian family and my testimony is boring oh poor me and and I really had to work through the meaning of that word. I mean, testimony is simply your, your experience of how God's at work in your life. And where are opportunities that you have in your day-to-day interactions with other people to share that? It doesn't have to be long, drawn-out, you know, a speech with a microphone. It can simply be short little actions of how you saw God at work uh, in your life. I often hear people use the quote, uh, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. And I love that quote because it speaks to living a life of faith and witness. But I think this quote can also be an excuse for not using words, for simply going around living your life trying to be a good person and hope everyone will come to know Christ because you smile at the checkout lady at Cub Foods. uh, You always need to use words. You always need to use words to talk about your relationship with Christ. Do actions and words. All of these contribute to your testimony. Again, testimony, simply sharing your personal experience of how you've seen God at work. Um, you know, examples, a few years ago, I was uncertain about my job and my calling and, and all of these things, and, and looking back now, I can see how God was at work in my life. That's a testimony. People say, I once was lost and now I'm found. That is a testimony. Think about what you would say if someone asked you to give a reason for the hope that you have, as it says in 1 Peter In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. From 1 Peter 3.15. Be ready. Be ready to share how God is at work in your life when people ask because you don't know when the opportunities are going to open themselves up to you. Being ready is not necessarily a cram session right before the night of the test. It comes out of a lifetime of devotion, of study, of prayer, of godly living, of right relationships. You know those people who just ooze scripture and righteousness and you're just honored to be in their presence because you feel like they know God so well? They're ready. I want to be like that. These people are almost always quick to listen and slow to speak. They're gentle, they're patient, they're kind, they're generous. That's being ready because it speaks to a lifetime of devotion and dedication to a relationship with Christ. But being ready also means simply being willing. You don't have to have walked with Christ for, your, for decades and decades to be able to share your testimony. You don't have to wait until you feel like you have a perfect handle on your faith before you start telling others about God's work in your life. Some of the best evangelists are those who have just met Christ, and they are so excited they just actually can't keep it in. And children, aren't children great evangelists? Uh, the other day we were having dinner with a family down the street who we've gotten to know, and um, they don't go to church. I don't believe they know Christ. And um, before we were eating, we were served our food. They served the food, and then this family started eating. And one of my kids said, "We forgot to pray." And I kind of didn't say anything because I, you know, whatever. This is their house. And um, they they paused and they said, oh, "Okay." Um, my other child, who had just learned the Lord's Prayer in Sunday school, said, we should all say the Lord's Prayer. And uh, as an adult, I think these situations are so awkward. I would have just preferred to keep my head down and talk about my kids later, you know, why they didn't pray, and that's okay, because they believe different things, whatever. But instead, we sat there, and my children led us in saying the Lord's Prayer before we had our meal. And it was this beautiful moment of the kids' leading us into this God moment that, that I thought was awkward. Uh, but again, the kids were leading us, and they were sharing how God was at work in their lives. And I learned a lot from my kids that day about how they step out in faith in these moments. And um, now we have this shared sort of a faith experience with these people, and, and we can go back and, and now talk about that. And I thank the Lord that my kids led us in that way. Uh, kids again are the best evangelists let them invite their friends to something at church which then opens you up to having a conversation with the parents about what the church is all about and what that event is i mean let the kids do some of the groundwork for opening up those relationships uh it's it's really fun uh the third thing that john the baptist is does in preparing the way for christ is that he invests in relationships You know, it mentions that uh, John had these disciples that he brought back to this place where Jesus was at work. Uh, This speaks to relationships. It's this teacher-student relationship in John's ministry that he had before Jesus even came on the scene. His ministry was to teach people about Christ so that they would be ready when Christ showed up. Uh, I know baptism was a part of John's ministry because he was baptizing all sorts of people, uh, but also was teaching, uh, which again was evidenced by the fact that he had disciples, So John invests in relationships. Uh, This this idea of investing in relationships is an interesting one for me uh, because, again, a part of my story is that I've always sort of grown up in Christian circles. Uh, I grew up in a loving Christian family. I had a strong youth group experience. I went to Bethel College and seminary. Uh, Then I've worked as a pastor. And so I felt like my um, life, I was always blessed to be surrounded by wonderful Christian people. And so when I thought of this idea of um, sort of evangelism or sharing my faith with, uh, with others, I always sort of thought of it as like a project. Like, oh, I need to go and meet those people over there so that I can share what I have with those people over there. And, and I sort of had to work through there. I didn't really understand it to be just have relationships with people. Just be a normal person in this world, <laughs> going about your day, having relationships with other people and see how God shows up in those relationships. Um, so again, this has opened me up to opportunities for inv- getting involved in my kids' school. You know, go to PTO meetings, hang out on the playground, uh, coach soccer, uh, whatever, whatever comes up, invest in those kind of relationships because there's value in that. Being a pastor opens up some really interesting conversations when the relationship gets around to the and what do you do question. Well, I... I work for the regional arm of our conference, uh, our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, and I work, you know, and like it's just this long title that nobody nobody outside the church understands at all, but they find out I'm a pastor, and um, they either want to change the subject, or they have some follow-up questions, and um, a new friend uh, a couple months ago said, wait, 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 wait a minute, you are a pastor? Okay, just a minute, let me get my head around this, Um, what kind of, what kind of, are you Lutheran? what kind of pastor are you? And then her second question was, and how do you vote? How do they tell you how to vote? And I thought, oh my goodness, is this your perception of what we do? And again, it opened up this conversation for us to, uh, for me to really actually talk about what I do. And um, it didn't get super deep at that point, but at least the fact that we have a relationship together means that we can continue these conversations, hopefully with some credibility. Uh, The other part of this passage that I just want to point out is, so John does all this work to set the stage, he builds relationships, he prepares the way, but Jesus is the one to issue the invitation. Jesus is the one who says, come and see, and it's an invitation into relationship with Christ himself. Uh, Sometimes we think that we are entirely responsible for making sure that other people know Christ. At least I am. I sometimes think that. If only we could have worked harder, if only we could have prayed more, if only I would have been smarter to answer their questions, uh, if only I would have been more faithful. I know parents wrestle with this because we want our kids so desperately to have faith. And sometimes we think, well, if we can just be perfect parents, then maybe our kids will turn out okay. But it's not entirely up to us. We do our part to prepare the way to allow Christ to come in and do Christ's work of issuing the invitation uh, to come and see. And I sometimes feel like I need to package the gospel in such a way that it'll be appealing to people. If I invite someone to church, I feel apologetic if the worship music is bad or if the speaker goes on too long or if they get stuck talking to that really awkward person out there by the coffee. I just want to say, oh, I'm so sorry. But it's not up to us. We have to trust that God is at work in their lives in ways that we don't understand. When I was a youth pastor, we took a mission trip with a reputable organization that's a wonderful organization, and part of the experience was was in the evenings, we would go and hear a message from a speaker to kind of tie up the day. And as we sat there this first evening of our trip, uh, this person stood up to speak, and I thought it was one of the worst speakers I have ever heard. And as a youth pastor, I'm thinking, oh, shoot, this is bad theology. It's going on too long. And it's, oh, da, da, da. All, I'm thinking there are all of these reasons of why this is just ruining our mission trip. And I'm thinking, darn it. And I was in for the surprise of my life when we went back for our group debriefing. And one of our leadership students stood up. And the first thing he says, I was so inspired by that message tonight. That was outstanding. And I am on fire for Christ. And I'm excited for this week. And I thought, who am I to doubt the work of the Holy Spirit? And who am I to think that it is all entirely up to me to orchestrate all these events, that God's going to show up at 8 o'clock on a Monday night in Wyoming at this thing. God works in ways that we don't understand. And God issues invitations to come and see to people uh, alongside of our ministry and sometimes in spite of our ministry. I know as a church, sometimes this can be hard because we work through these big questions of how do we pass on the faith to our next generation. How do we equip our kids and families um, to make faith a priority in their lives? And I pray that you will keep wrestling with that and that you may be encouraged to continue to do that. But I hope that in your work, as you you figure out what it means to be a church together and to pass on faith, faith, that you're inspired by the ministry of John the Baptist, who just goes out and prepares the way so that people's hearts will be open and receptive uh, to God's work in their lives. And I know that this is also an invitation for you all, an invitation for you all to see for yourself what Christ is up to. It's something, again, that only you can decide for yourself. It doesn't make you a Christian just to go to church or grow up in a Christian family. I mean, you know this. You know this. But it's an invitation to you to see for yourself. And the thing I want to reiterate through this passage is that God is at work in ways we don't understand. The rest of this passage that I, didn't, that I haven't quite talked about yet in verses 40 to 42 says that Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the first who heard what John had said and followed Jesus. And the first thing he did was to find his brother Simon. And he said, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus is the one to issue the invitation to Simon and changes his name to Peter. It's interesting that this is one of the only times in Scripture that we read about Andrew, who was then called by Christ, We don't hear a lot about him. His name is mentioned a few times here and there, mostly sort of in the context of these are a list of people who were with Christ when this happened. But it says the first thing that Andrew did when he heard about when he met Christ was to go and tell his brother. Again, he was this excited evangelist who had just met Christ and he had to go and tell his brother. The ministry of Peter is significant, right? We hear a lot about Peter uh, in the Bible. John prepared the way for Andrew to follow. Andrew was the one to bring Peter. Peter gets all the attention. Peter is the one to whom Jesus asked, Who do people say I am, and who do you say that I am? And Peter responded with, Well, you are the Lord, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter is the one Jesus said he would build his church on. Peter is the one who denied Jesus three times. And Peter is the one who asked Jesus to wash his whole body, not just his feet. Peter's the one who walked on water with Jesus. It was Peter together with James and John who went up on the mountain to witness the transfiguration. Peter was up praying with Jesus in the garden when the the guards came to arrest Jesus. And Peter was the hot-headed one to whip out his sword and chop off the guard's ear. Peter's one of my favorite characters. He's impulsive, he's reckless, he's rough around the edges. But from that very first encounter... Jesus recognizes something in Peter, and he changes his name to Rock, and he says, you, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. All because Andrew was so excited to have met Christ that he said, hey, I have to go tell my brother. And Peter goes on to do these amazingly great things. Jesus sees Peter's potential, and he marks him for something significant. And so, Glenn, I tell you that you don't know the far-reaching implications that your ministry may have when you step out in faith and share the love of Christ with others. Again, so what is our role in bringing others to Christ? What if we lived our lives like John the Baptist? What if we were always on the lookout for the work of Christ in the world? And what if we looked for opportunities to point out Christ to those who may not necessarily see? What if we invested in relationships for the sake of having relationships, not for projects, but for having relationships? And what if we looked for opportunities to share our personal stories? even though it's scary and sometimes hard. My friend Chris Costin says that evangelism is anything you do to bring someone one step closer to knowing Christ. And I love that. It's anything you can do to bring someone one step closer. So maybe saying the Lord's Prayer around that supper table is the only only opportunity I will have to sort of bring this family one step closer. But maybe that's just what I'm supposed to do at this point. I trust that God will bring other people into their lives at different points. Um, and God is still at work in their lives. But what if we lived our lives like John the Baptist, preparing the way? The other thing is that I trust, uh, we need to trust that God sees those on the fringes, right? This gives me great hope. Uh, My friend Ben has has a son, or has a friend, who comes from a family who doesn't really know Christ. And Ben and this little kid are great buddies. And so Ben was so excited to invite him to Covenant Pines this summer for kids' camp for their first week. And so they've been planning this since September. And um, I've been talking with my son, who has kind of this burden for this kid to know Christ. And I said, you know what? This is so exciting that this kid's going to go to camp because they talk about Jesus. And, and I, think, I think this kid's going to hear about Christ this summer. Well, the day before camp, his mom texted me, and she said, oh, he decided not to go. I'm sorry. And I was like, really, God? This is such a bummer. I don't get this at all because we've been praying for this kid as a family and I just don't understand. Yet I have to trust that God sees those on the fringes and God has a plan for this kid's life. Later on in this passage in the book of John, Jesus has an encounter with Nathanael. And Nathanael's kind of cynical and he says, oh Jesus, you're from Nazareth. Does anything good come from there? And Jesus says, look, I saw you when you were still sitting under the fig tree. And I trust that those who are on the outside who don't understand, God still sees those people. God sees my, my little son, Ben's friend, and he sees them and he has a plan for his life, even though um, we don't really know what that is right now. So we hold on to that hope that God sees those who are on the fringes. The, the third thing I want to suggest that we do and as we live our lives like John the Baptist is to just pray like crazy. Just pray, pray, pray like crazy. We have a big task ahead of us, right? The last thing Jesus says when he's here on earth, he gives us the great commission. He says, go go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching. Well, he's a little sketchy on the details of how you do that. He's clear about the mission, but then just says, go and do it. Well, I don't know. So I pray like crazy and trust that God will meet me in my efforts as we go out and we do that together. And I trust that Jesus will do his part in issuing the invitation to come and see with those that need to have a relationship with Christ. And thankfully, the great news in all this is that Jesus has promised to be with us through the end of the age so we don't have to go forward and we don't have to do this alone. And this is very good news indeed. Will you join me in prayer? Again, gracious and loving God, I thank you so much for issuing the invitation to all of us to come and see It's an invitation into personal relationship, and I pray that we respond. God, I pray that um, you will give us the confidence and the boldness to go about our daily lives and to show you to people who may not know, to give our testimony, to invest in relationships, and to look for opportunities to point you out in our lives. God, I thank you for your work in this world in ways that we do not even see. And I trust that you give us the confidence and the grace to go forward in that mission, knowing that you are with us always to the very end of the age. We thank you so much, God, and we love you. Amen.